Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake. I am one of your hosts, Reza Aslan. And I'm the lesser of the two hosts, Rain Wilson. (laughs) You are not. You, my friend, are a bona fide celebrity. You are a bona fide celebrity. I'm pretty pretty huge. You are. You're pretty pretty, pretty big. I'm I'm about as big as it gets. Listen, yep. I loved you in Friends. I thought it was great. Great oh, show. Thanks. Um, thanks. But I, I just saw this thing. I just saw an announcement. You've got a new show now coming out, The Geography of Bliss, traveling right. around the world on Peacock's money. Yep. NBC Universal is footing the bill. Pretending to I, work, but not really. I cannot believe for the life of me that they are paying me <laughs> very nice money. To travel the world, I am going to Bulgaria, Iceland, Ghana, Dubai, Thailand, and Japan. And and what's the point? The whole point of the show is to search for happiness. Why are people happier in some places and not in others? What is it culturally that we can glean from some of these far corners of the earth that can enrich our own lives both, you know, individually on a personal level, but culturally as well. I mean, I would have paid them. Don't tell. I hope they're not listening. I would have paid them to go on these travels. I mean, come well, on. Give me this a is this is the thing. You're you're going around the world trying to figure out what makes people happy when what makes you happy is going around the world. Oh, it's like yes. And and in fact, that's not a that's not a like a a fake thing. There are numerous studies. Numerous. Yep studies about how travel can make you happier, can make you healthier, uh, Mm -hmm. can improve your mental acuity. uh, It can make you less racist. It can make you less prejudiced. Like there is nothing but enormous benefits to to just traveling in general. Uh, Man, this this show sounds like a scam to me. I got to be honest with you. Sounds like a scam. It's it's a little bit of a scam. I have I have ripped somebody off. This is absolutely incredible. <laughs> I love to be able to take some of the ideas we've been exploring on our podcast over the last year, year and a half, mm-hmm. however many 50 plus, 60 plus episodes we've done so far, but you know, Mental health, that intersection between mental health, uh, positive psychology, spirituality, sociology, and different kind of cultures. And it is all rooted in in travel. And it is, yeah. um, travel is such an important component of that search for happiness. You're exactly right. It is in What's, my household. Um, it is in my household. Your household is has travel as a as a philosophy. Do you have that? And is it is it like is it like a familial contract that you guys sign? Is it, it a it is, kind is of it is a sign? Yeah, it okay. uh, literally is. We have a we have you know a, a list of our family values that we have you know sure. on, on a wall uh, in our den, and travel is on there. And people are like, wait, travel is not a value. That's a thing that you do. Not in the Aslan Jackley household for us. Travel uh-huh. is is not just a value. It's one of one of the most important values that we have. You know, our boys, we have two 10-year-olds now, a seven-year-old, and then a two-year-old. Two-year-old is a pandemic baby, so she hasn't gone anywhere yet. But uh-huh. the uh the you know, my other three kids, uh, I mean, they have been to dozens and dozens of countries. In fact, right the summer before the pandemic started, my wife and I, uh, and our three boys did this insane. 80-day journey around the world. We literally circled the globe in 80 days uh, together as a family. Went to 
something like 23 different cities. Now, how old were your kids when you did this? The twins were about to be eight. They were just about to turn eight. And the uh, and my youngest son was about to turn, well, he was like five and a half. So he was five and a half years old. Okay, okay. So just old enough to appreciate it because much younger and they wouldn't have really, <laughs> wouldn't Well, have and you know, really people register. say that all the time. They're like, Wait, but you know, your kids, they're not going to remember all of this. And it is true. I will say that they're, you know, they're, sometimes we'll be watching a movie or whatever. And like, the, it'll be like the pyramids of Giza. And I'll be like, boys, do you remember when we went inside the great pyramid of Giza? And they're like, no. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. Like, how do you not remember that? Um, but, uh. but what I will say is that over and beyond the sort of very specific memories that they have, who they are as human beings, how they see the world, how they see people who are a different color than them or who speak a different language or who are a different ethnicity or, or, you know, or a different religion, how they interact with people who aren't like them has been mm. absolutely, and I would say permanently altered by the experience simply of traveling around the world and and seeing people live different kinds of lives you know it's it's kind of it's soaked into their skin it's really made them i think i would say better human beings that's fantastic did you document this trip at all we did yes we 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 my wife uh blogged uh about it uh extensively and and uh and, you know, and and it was such a magical time, to be honest, like we've we've now decided that we're going to try to make this a, a maybe once every five year thing. You know, I mean, five years is That's how fantastic. long it'll take me to save up the money necessary uh, in order to try it again. But, you know, this this brought up the, this kind of idea for us, your your show, Geography of Bliss, uh, my family and and the way that we think about travel and what travel can do to a human being, how it can change a person's perspective. And we thought, you know, this is exactly the kind of topic that we should have a podcast about. The importance of travel, the um, what we can learn from travel, that what, you know, the, uh, the crucialness of travel in this time of great uh, disunity and, and difficulty. And who better to come along on this metaphysical journey with us than the fantastic Drew Binsky. Um, this kid is phenomenal. He just turned 30 years old and he'd been to every single country in the world, including Ooh. North Korea, Iran, Malawi, any place you can possibly think of, even the super hard to get to ones. Um, and wow. Uh, he's a travel blogger. He's got 10 million subscribers across all of his platforms. He's got two Guinness Book of World Records. One is for most UNESCO World Heritage Site visits in 24 hours. I didn't know that was something you could get a record <laughs> okay. in. And one is for the fastest time to pack a suitcase. And for a while, he was the youngest person, the youngest American, rather, to have visited every single country. Oh, this is exciting. Okay, my you know my wife tried to do this, uh, but she hasn't seen all of them. So this is this is uh, this is one for you, baby. Drubinsky, welcome to the show. Rain, how you doing? Um, I couldn't be better, Drew. Thanks so much for coming on Metaphysical Milkshake. Hey, Drew, uh, where where in this great big uh, world of ours are you? Uh, calling in from in your in your many many exotic travels? Let, no, no, no. Let me guess. Let me guess. Macedonia. No, 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 no. no, no. no. Let me guess. Madagascar. Samoa. Madagascar. No. Yeah, no. Um, Bhutan. Uh, ooh, Bhutan. No. That's a, yes. Bhutan? Yeah. No, Is where Bhutan? are you? Where are you? For real. I wish I could tell you something like that, but I am in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, oh, where geez. I grew up. I'm in my house. <laughs> oh, yeah. Come on. Boo. Oh, man. I have good Wi-Fi here. That's why I decided to take the call now. <laughs> if I was in Bhutan, I wouldn't be able to connect. You flew from Bhutan to Scottsdale in order to do our podcast. Thank wow. you, Drabinsky. Uh, I feel hey, special. My first question for you, we got a lot to uh, uncover and dig into, and your story is fascinating. How did this begin? How did what, Give us a little about your biography. Where did this urge to travel come from? I studied abroad in the Czech Republic my junior year of college. I went to University of Wisconsin-Madison, found a study abroad program. <clears throat> I went there without knowing anybody, had an amazing semester, traveled to about 20 countries in Europe. This is in January to May 2012. 
graduated college in economics and entrepreneurship, did not want to do the corporate American nine to five job. So I took a job as an English teacher in South Korea, mm. which was a great move for me to kind of start a new life in Asia. And through my two years in Korea, I also went to about 20 to 25 countries in Asia. And I was 23 years old when I left Korea. And I thought, well, I've been to about 50 countries. Why not try to go to all of them? So I have a mentor named Lee Abamanti, who at the time was the youngest American to visit every country. And he finished at 31. So I, here I am at you know, 23, 24, I'm 50 countries in. And so I said, I have seven years to try to break his record. And I did. But now I'm not the youngest American. I'm like the third youngest American to visit every country. <laughs> wow. Did someone beat you? How did someone beat? They, they, they jumped in at the last minute and now there's some damn 28-year-old with the world's record? <laughs> and you're sitting there going, well, then what was the point in any of it? No, 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 no. It's not a race. It's not a race. It's, uh, it, it's been an incredible journey. Drew, it took me- Drew, Drew, Drew. It's a race. And you lost. And you lost. It's a race that you lost, Drew, is what we're trying to say. All right. Well, nice talking to you guys. <laughs> My question is, can we get the world's youngest world traveler on the show? Are producers still there? No, no. I mean, I guess we'll finish the interview anyway. Right, we're, mad, we're here. We might as do? well. Uh, Drew, <laughs> this is so exciting. You know, like uh, we talked about this a lot at the top of this show. Travel is very important to both of us. Um, you know, it, in our, in my household, it's, it's, it's a value. Like it's literally a family value. And I just wonder, like when you were growing up, um, did you, were you did you come from a family that instilled this idea uh, on you? Like, you know, be a global citizen, see the world, you know, understand what other people think and, and empathize with all these, or, or was this just kind of like suddenly it, it happened because you went on a study abroad and you realized, oh, this is the, this is the kind of person I want to be. Definitely the latter. I was raised Jewish. I had a bar mitzvah and, and I was told at a young age that Muslims are not the friendliest people in the world. I mean, that's, well, really, that's, that's truthfully true. what I thought. No, Muslims are great. <laughs> I love them. I love Islam. So uh, I was a sheltered, you know, white, you, know, I, I, you could say privileged, um, upper middle class raised in Arizona. And my eyes just opened up from really going to Europe for the first time. I traveled a little bit as a kid. I, I played competitive hockey and golf. So I was uh, traveling around the country, mostly Canada, Mexico. Mm -hmm. And we took some family trips to the Bahamas and stuff like the classic American Caribbean destinations, but never really overseas uh, to Europe or Asia or Africa or South America. So it was really study abroad that changed my whole perspective and flipped my world upside down. And, and I, I just became obsessed with connecting with new people, learning about new cultures, and figuring out our purpose for, for being here. So I just went with it. I want to back up a little bit. Hockey and golf, and I was just thinking, you specialize in sports where they hit balls with sticks. <laughs> now, did you True. ever see that? Did you ever see that, that documentary about that guy that golfed his way across Mongolia? That sounds so cool. I have not. You mean like, you mean like he just hit a hit a golf ball from one side of Mongolia to the other side of from Mongolia? From one side of Mongolia to the other, I swear. Oh. Yeah. Um, I don't That's remember cool. any of the details. But did you ever put those ball and stick skills um, to use in some weird sport in some part of the world? <laughs> I have played cricket, which is an interesting sport, and a lot of mm -hmm. Americans just don't get it. But it's yeah, really, I'm really one popular. one of those Americans who do not get it. Yeah, I do not get in, it. In, in India and Pakistan, it's like a religion out there. Yeah. So I did participate in cricket. Uh, just... I, a tangent. I'll tell you my problem with cricket <laughs> in case. Okay. And then, then can I tell you my problem with both hockey and golf when you're done? Why Please. not? Let's talk about okay. sports. I mean, Drew Please. doesn't mind. Uh, Please. Here's what I don't get about cricket. You go to sleep and it's Australia 379 to India seven. And you're like, okay, well that, that game's over. Right. And you wake up the next morning and it's like India one. What? How? How do you make up 370 points in any sport? They all, bat, they all bat at once. So think about baseball. Like the home team will bat all nine innings and then the away team will bat all nine innings. That's how they do it. So you are right. It is very strange how it works. <laughs> well, well, that's, that's the, the first answer. time anyone's ever explained it to me. That makes okay, sense. Okay, okay. Hockey, hockey is the only sport in the world where they stop the game to allow people to start punching each other. I think they. I think they stopped. At either that they need to. They need to ban that, or they need to include that little facet of hockey into every other sport, like tennis. 
where you stop the game and you jump the net and you just start pounding on each other. And the ref is there just making sure no one else is jumping. Let them get their punches in. Then it's like, okay, now that's enough. Now go back and continue the game. No one knows what you're looking for in a doctor better than you. And no one is better at giving you the tools to find the perfect doctor than ZocDoc. The people who created ZocDoc found the major pain points in healthcare all the things that weren't working, and they said, you know what, enough. And they made booking a great doctor surprisingly pain-free. So ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. So read up on local doctors, get verified patient reviews, and see what other real humans had to say about their visit. So go to ZocDoc.com. That's right, ZocDoc.com. Choose a time slot, and whether you want to see the doctor in person or just do a video visit, you can do either. And just like that, you're booked. Find the doctor that's right for you. Book an appointment that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a doctor. In the chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor in a way that is surprisingly pain-free. With ZocDoc, you can get your docs in a row. I <laughs> get it. Go to ZocDoc.com slash milkshake and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's zocdoccom slash milkshake. zocdoccom slash milkshake. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, actually, it sounds like we're off the, the point. But, dear listeners, this is just the genius of the metaphysical milkshake. Because, in a sense, Drew's explanation of both, you know, uh, hockey and uh, cricket is kind of the point of all this, right? Because there are so many benefits to being a well-traveled person, right? And I don't mean like intellectual benefits so you understand how cricket works. That, that's nice. But there are like actually literally health benefits to this, right? So for instance, uh, there was a Cornell University study that said that uh, people experience a direct increase in happiness just from planning a trip, which I, I'm going to, I might have to yell bullshit about because I've like, I've planned trips. That's like the, that's not the most happy part <laughs> Of a trip, but okay, fine. Uh, there have been a number of studies that have uh, investigated links between creativity and international travel. Uh, there was one study that said that three days after taking a vacation, travelers report feeling less anxious, more rested, and in a better mood. I would probably assume that these are people who traveled without children, but okay, <laughs> nevertheless. But but Reza, there's there's another uh, study here that I saw that was is fantastic. There was a study of 46 Dutch workers that found that after going on an international holiday for two to three weeks, when they came back, they were able to generate more diverse ideas for alternative ways to use everyday objects, such as bricks, tires, spoons, pencils, et cetera. Huh. So before they left, they did a test. You know, what can you do with a brick and a pencil or whatever? All of a sudden they go on a two-week vacation travel and they're more imaginatively able to use common objects, which shows that their brain has been opened up in some significant new ways. See, okay, so Drew, you, you're like the perfect guinea pig for these kinds of uh, experiments. 
what have you personally discovered to be like the benefits? I don't, we'll talk about intellectual benefits, emotional benefits, but I mean, I'm talking about like literal health benefits uh, to traveling. Like how has it altered your life? I think everything you guys just said is spot on. When you think about the typical American lifestyle, you know, you get up in your house, go to work, which is the same building, or it's in your house now. You go probably eat at the same 10 restaurants and then you go to bed and it's just so familiar and it's just repetition, repetition, repetition. When I travel, everything is new and exciting. I'm using different parts of my brain that I never knew existed. Mm. I'm constantly problem solving. I just went to Belize two days ago and I met the president. His name is Johnny Briseño. He's the second president I've met in the last six months. The other was in Palau. And it was fascinating just to sit down with him. But And, and I can get into that later. But just the challenge of logistically going to to figure out how I'm going to meet him, and I did a whole YouTube video about it, was so rewarding. And it's just something that I'm using parts of my brain that I wouldn't normally use. And mm. constantly meeting new people, sharing stories, um, relying on the kindness of others to help out. And that's one of the, you know, the biggest takeaways I've had around the world is that 99.999% of people are good people. They're welcoming, they're friendly, they, they genuinely want to meet you and share their culture with you. In the same way that if somebody if a friend of a friend of a friend called you up and, and they wanted to go visit you in LA or wherever you live, you would be so happy to take them a couple places because you're proud of it. It's the same thing, you know? And so- I'm, not, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not proud of LA. <laughs> I don't know that Reza and I are very proud of LA. Bad example. But, okay. Where are you originally from, Rain? LA. Uh, Seattle. Great. I was just in Seattle too. I'm looking at wedding venues up there. Uh, oh. My, yeah. We're actually looking in Snoqualmie, which is like 30 minutes. Oh, away. yeah. I love Snoqualmie. Yes, I know. Yeah. It's great. Beautiful. So Seattle, if somebody, if one of your best friends yes. had another friend that said, hey, and you happen to be in Seattle, you would love to take them to a couple places. Mm -hmm. I would Same be thing. proud to show them around the Emerald City. Thank you very much. Love it. Yes. Great. So it's kind of the same thing. People are mm -hmm. genuinely friendly and welcoming. And that's, um, and that's the most beautiful thing. And, and, but you don't get those experiences if you just stay home because you have your same friend group. And you're just not stepping out of your comfort zone. That it, it sounds so cliche, those words, step out of your comfort zone. But the best things happen when you do step out of your comfort zone and just go somewhere and meet someone. So that's really why I can't stop traveling. I reached my goal to go to every country. But, but now I realize how little I've seen of the world. You know, Russia is huge. China is huge. India is huge. Brazil. So I just, I'm going to start going to regions and places that I haven't been. Like I just got back from Iran a few months ago and I tackled four different regions of that country that I hadn't seen on my first trip. So it's just an ongoing, amazing process. Wow. That's that. I never really thought about that. You've been to countries, but of course, you know, you, you know, I had a friend who went to Vietnam and a couple of times and he said like Northern Vietnam is its own kind of world. And especially if you go inland, it's just crazy tribes and cultures and completely different food than the rest of Vietnam. So people say like, oh, I went to Vietnam. But, you know, if you really want to be a world traveler, you're talking about three or four trips to each country. Drew, there's still world records to be broken out there. <laughs> no, but he's right. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, visiting Wisconsin and being like, I've been to America. Exactly right. That actually is a good place. If you're going to say you're going to America, Wisconsin is yeah, a good I guess place Wisconsin's to go. Not too bad, you could yeah. do Milwaukee and yeah. then Madison, and then you could visit some farmland. But you know what? What, you what Drew's really talking about here is empathy, isn't he? I mean, it's yeah. The, I mean, this is a, a just a well trod fact, right? That travel is like an empathy making experience. You know, when you see people from other parts of the world, when you experience how they live, what they eat, uh, their their rituals and their traditions, um, it just whether you're you know want it to or not, it increases your empathy. It uh, helps you to to suspend judgment about people, regardless of you know whatever their surface quality is, age, sex, race, ethnicity, whatever. Um, uh, that's that's really the 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 most sort of magical part about traveling, isn't it? Is that it it increases the ability to see the world from someone else's point of view. Absolutely. And you're you're thrown into those situations that you're forced to learn five words in the local language or else you're not going to be able to communicate with someone. So you're just constantly learning and adapting to different places, cultures, experiences. And of course, you know, you learn a lot about religions about places and 
the cool thing is anytime I turn on a movie, an old movie that I've seen, and there's a reference, like, and I'm like, wow, I've been there. I know exactly yeah. what they're talking about. That's Whereas fun. before, I just, it just goes over your head. Now, you were talking about this. Uh, I love that, Reza, what you said. It's an empathy-building machine to travel. And I think this is such an issue in America because I don't know what the statistics are. Maybe they're on our little producer's fact sheet there. Maybe someone can look it up. But, you know, the number of uh, the percentage of Americans that not only have never traveled, but don't have a passport or have never had a passport is astounding. And I do think that culturally we have a great deal of empathy for people that live within 100 miles of us. But it's so hard for Americans, especially to have empathy for disasters that happen overseas and, you know, and the, the strifes and, and troubles and, uh, you know, vicissitudes that people have to face all over the globe. Mm-hmm. And we're really lacking in that department. Have you bumped up against this in your videos and comments on your videos? And why do you think that is that Americans are so not prone to travel. Yeah, in fact, before you answer, Drew, uh, I, I don't remember. It is, you're right. It's a very small percentage. But I do remember this. I remember in 2000, when George W. Bush became president, uh, I read a piece that said he had been to Mexico and Canada. Uh, by the way, my the producer, um, Safa, thank you for texting. Um, a third of Americans have never yeah. traveled abroad. That's cray-cray. Yeah. Yep, it's exactly what I thought. 65% of Americans do not have passports. The last time I checked, it's somewhere around that number. The reason is a couple of things. One, um, America is so big. It's the third largest country in, in area. And there really is a lot of places to go. If you want mountains, you got mountains, beaches, yeah. um, you know, palm trees. You got national parks, forests. If you want rain, go to Seattle. Um, so we, and we have so many diasporas around the country. If you want to meet Iranians, go to LA and you can go eat Persian food, mm-hmm. authentic Persian food. Uh, if you want to eat Korean food, then just go to Koreatown in New York or LA. So I think that's par- a, part of the reason is because we're such a melting pot of cultures that we have a lot of things at our disposal, not to mention Hawaii, which is a Pacific Island, mm-hmm. American Samoa, which you can go with just your ID, Puerto Rico. So there's also those places too. Um, and we don't really, we don't learn languages. I mean, okay, maybe some of us know Spanish. Maybe some of us know French. Go anywhere in Europe. Those people know five languages mm-hmm. minimum, minimum. And it's so normal to cross borders if you grew up in Europe or anywhere in Asia. I mean, it's just, it's so easy. If you're from Singapore, that country is, a, you can walk around Singapore in one day. So of course you're going to be more cultured. So that's, part, that's the biggest reason I think why Americans don't travel. So speaking of this empathy-making machine, the world of travel and Americans and traveling. And you grew up a Jewish boy. You heard not so good things about Muslims, but you've been to so many Muslim countries and Arab states and places that are super hard to get to. We'll get to Iran in a minute because I really want to hear about it. But um, what was that like for you to have a new experience of Islam and Muslims in a way that it must have been just staggeringly eye-opening because I think so many, even just not even Jewish Americans, mid-Americans are, are filled with all kinds of stigmas. We only get kind of a lot of times really stereotyped images of Muslim Americans in the media. And, you you know, there's a lot of, you know, 24 with Jack Bauer fighting terrorists <laughs> and, and whatnot and has have a very limited uh, understanding. But in the scope and breadth of that world, what was that transformation like for you in your heart? Great question, Rain. I, I almost felt like I was reborn. I remember my first time in Istanbul in 2012, I saw a woman who was wearing all black, including her uh, hands covered, and she only showed her eyes. And, and I, I literally paused and I, I had to comprehend because I'd never seen that before. And she was just totally accepted in the society. And, and then just the more I traveled around Muslim countries, the funny thing is, is that Judaism and Islam are so similar. Mm-hmm. We're literally brothers. And, and we can, this is a whole separate podcast, I'm sure. But from my experiences, you know, we both fast, uh, you know, got Ramadan and Yom Kippur. Friday night is the holy night of prayer. We both believe in one God. We both wear small hats on our heads. We're both very hospitable over, you know, g- giving food and, and, you know, giving tzedakah, which is giving um, don- don- donation, which is really important. And we both have mothers who do nothing but give guilt 
Exactly. <laughs> uh, just for everything, guilt, guilt, well, guilt. The more time, the more time I spend with with Muslims, and I've been invited into homes and and all kinds of stuff around the world. I just re- I feel like I'm in a Jewish home, and that's that's a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. honestly. Mm-hmm. And so, and also not to mention Arabic and Hebrew. Uh, Shalom Aleichem or Salam Aleichem means yeah. may peace be upon you. You also read the dialect from right to left and a lot of the vowels and characters are the same. So come on, it's literally the same. So that's something that I would have never known or ever thought about if I didn't go physically and meet people. Mm-hmm. And that's something I try to communicate in my videos. I've done many, many, many videos about, you know, I'm Jewish, but I love Islam and what are the similarities and differences. So that's something that I, I really love. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, Rain, I feel like way more understanding and I feel way more involved in Islam. Ramadan just happened. I went to the only Muslim majority town in America. It's called Hamtramck, Michigan. It's a suburb of Detroit. And I made a video about uh, having Ramadan and having iftar, breaking the fast. And that video already has over a million views on, on YouTube. I wow. posted it about two weeks ago. So oh, that's I just, great. I, I love it. I love it. And I'm just trying to communicate that Muslims are amazing people, hospitable people. And, you know, it's really unfortunate that, that the reputation of the religion is judged on just a few uh, extremists. Mm-hmm. It's really sad. And they're good podcast hosts. I've heard. I've heard they make very good podcast hosts. They're great. They're great. Uh, they're, they're great sidekicks. We make great very sidekicks. good sidekicks. Yeah. Philosophical. There's only, there's only two billion of them. <laughs> Only two billion. Well, I love, I love that you use your travel to build bridges. Yeah, um, and and, yeah. and uh, you know, again, it's just like we 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 just keep coming back to this issue of empathy, right? This issue of, you know, I I never get tired of saying this that bigotry is not the result of ignorance. People say that all the time. Oh, if you're a bigot or you're racist, it's just because you're ignorant. No, no, it's not. There are some extremely well knowledgeable racists out there. Bigotry is a result yep. of fear, and fear. Yeah is impervious to information. Fear is impervious to data. The only way to dispel fear is through relationships, right? The only way Mm. to dispel bigotry, to to fight back against prejudice is through relationships. You just got to get to know people. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Can you think of like a, a place that you've been or an experience that you've had or, or something that you've witnessed that really kind of put this empathy thing to a test? You know, like something that was just so bonkers so out there so weird that it really like tested you to be like okay all right i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna be uh i'm gonna put on my empathy hat and just kind of go with it and and this is this is an avenue through which i'm going to open my mind and get to know uh a different culture or a different experience is there i'm sure there's tons but is there one that comes to mind got a great one for you and thanks for the question reza so central african republic one of the hardest countries to get a visa to, yeah. one of the hardest countries to visit because there's very like dangerous. one or two flights a week. Very dangerous. Very too. dangerous country. Big, uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was one of my last 20-ish countries. So I went to the capital of Bangui and I met a local guy named David who I met through Instagram. And that's, I'm very spontaneous. I basically meet people through Instagram. I just post up, hey guys, I'm going to be in these five countries over the next two weeks. Is anybody around? Would love to hang out. And that's how I met him. Just pure spontaneity. David picked me up at the airport and we, we were going around the city, which was nothing that special, but I really wanted something deeper in the culture. So I knew about the pygmy tribe. Are you guys familiar with the pygmies? Uh-huh, sure. sure yeah. so genetically, they're the world's shortest people. On right. average, they're about four foot four, the adults, and they live only in the jungles of Central Africa. So that includes Gabon, that includes Central African Republic, and a little bit of the Congo. It might be one other country, 
but they just live there in little settlements. So I knew the pygmies were out there in Central African Republic, and I really wanted to learn about them and experience their life. So we hired a driver. We drove seven hours from Bangui into a small village. We had to bring a hitchhiker on because he spoke the local language and he said, you have to go through the trees. There's, there's no more roads anymore. <laughs> right. We ended up stopping the car and we all had to walk two hours in the hottest, most humid place you could possibly imagine. I didn't even have enough water on me and we're slashing through trees that are up to my neck. So we're walking for two hours. There were points in there where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. <laughs> I, I might have to go back to the car. So finally, we, we arrive at these small little huts and there's a community of about 50 pygmies. The moment I showed up, they literally looked at me as if I was a complete alien. Mm. And I was to them because when sure. I sat down with, I spent 24 hours with them. They told me they had never seen a white person before ever. And it was really humbling. And at the end, you know, I ended up, I gave them huge hugs goodbye and it was emotional to leave them. That's how close we had gotten mm. over those 24 hours. But there was one thing that happened that really tested my, you know, <laughs> my, my understanding of, the, of life really is I witnessed the, the, the chief uh, with a bow and arrow, kill a gazelle, which is a small antelope. I witnessed it. He killed it, uh, arrow got him. And within 20 minutes, he had, he had skinned out, he had cut it open with a knife and he had skinned it out and put it over a fire and had fed the entire village of 50 people. Wow. He offered it to me. I, I said, no, I had my own snacks and I just, I didn't really, I normally I would eat it, but it was their food. And it was just so, it gives me the goosebumps telling this story because it, it was just so humble. It was so humbling to stand there and they were so happy and there was a campfire and they were laughing, telling jokes. And it was just unbelievable experience to be there. And then they ended up dancing around the campfire the whole night. I, I have a video on YouTube. You guys can watch mm -hmm. it. It was probably my favorite story ever. And um, my local guide who we picked up on the car, he had brought some palm wine, which is wine that grows in the trees. And uh, it comes from the nearby town, which they don't get to drink often. So they, we brought them all palm wine and they were all drinking all night, just having a blast, uh, beating the drums. And I was sleeping on the floor with a little mosquito net that I wrapped around uh, a tree branch. And that was just one of the coolest moments of my life wow. to be there. And uh, there's a lot more to unpack of what happened, but that, I think that's a good story to answer your question. Wow, that is that is good. And um, But one thing caught my attention, which was you were talking about them telling jokes. Did the translator, was he able to translate a pygmy joke? <laughs> I really want to know what a pygmy joke would sound like. Oh man, a pygmy How joke. How many gazelles does it take to screw in a light bulb? I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, anyways. No, but they, they, they really are one with nature and they play like hide and seek in the trees and they get, they just like, you just turn a corner and you're gone because it, it goes up, as I told you, to your yeah. neck. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of the kids are running around and, and just like, they, they just like, if you go to a classroom of, of 10 year olds or throwing stuff around the classroom, it's the same kind of uh, experience that I had. But I wish I, would, I wish I could learn a pygmy joke or two. You know, there's, there is a question that comes up when we think about international travel, and I'm trying to increase my empathy to uh, some of the listeners out there. And, and I do wonder, and sometimes I uh, have to remain conscious of this myself because I'm extremely privileged as a, as a white male from America with a big bank account because I was on a TV show. I'm able right. to travel. A lot of people are not able to travel because it's super expensive and sure. you have to have a certain level of privilege in order to undertake international travel. And if you're living in the, um, you know, on the Rosebud Indian Reservation, you probably don't have those resources. But also there are other kind of privileges that that rear their ugly heads when it comes to travel. You know, there's certain races, mm -hmm. you know, if you're, you know, if you're African-American, there's going to be places that where you're treated perhaps even more poorly than you're treated in the United States. Mm -hmm. I don't even know, but gender, you know, gender sure. issues. If you're trans, if you Sing have yeah, you single know, woman traveling by herself, it's quite different than a single male traveling sure. by yeah. himself. Religion. Or, or, we brought or that if up you're in, a, in a gay partnership or something like that. So mm -hmm. what, what can you address around this, this idea that we have to be, you know, there is a certain sense of privilege that comes along with our stories as world travelers. There's absolutely a sense of privilege and it's something that I've come to realize when I left the American bubble. And a lot of Americans just don't realize it because we have so much here. I mean, the poorest American is the richest in many other countries. And that's right. something that you would only realize if you went. And, you know, my passport allows me to visit 186 countries without needing to get a visa. That's crazy. 
countries and territories. Deanna, my wife, is from the Philippines. She can only visit 66 countries without needing to get a visa. And actually, right now, she's been having issues to get a European visa, which is crazy. Mm. But she's very qualified and very educated and, and runs her own business. So it's not fair. It's not fair that other people have to... Nobody can choose where they're born. Um, Reza, I mean, I'm sure some of your family might have Iranian passports. And oh, yeah. That's not going to get you very far. You, maybe well, you can go to that. Iraq. It's, it's not even that. It's like my, my American passport says that I was born in Iran. And that has caused me no end of trouble. Yep. It's an American passport. I'm an American. But it yep. says born in Tehran. But you're not. And, but yeah. you're not. Exactly. So it's something that, you know, you can't, re- uh, you can't appreciate your own culture until you travel and realize that, wow, we have it so good. We have it yeah. so good. And I'm not worried about bombs hitting my house. But when I went to bed in Libya, in Tripoli, the capital, I was going to sleep to the sound of bombs that were 10 10 miles away because I was in a civil war. And literally my bed was shaking like this, like vibrating loudly. I don't, I take this very, very seriously. I mean, I I talk so much about, we have, we've all been talking so much about how important travel is and all the enormous benefits, health benefits, emotional, intellectual benefits, how it changes you as a human being, how it's, it's, you know, such a vital part of creating empathy and knowledge of the other and all of that stuff. But we're not going to lie and say that it's something that's open to everyone. Obviously, you know, travel is not cheap. But I, I just want to say one thing. Um, I didn't become an American citizen until I was 23, right? Wow. And so I was in this country for the 16 years. 16 years is not a citizen. And so I could never leave. I could never leave. Um, but, mm-hmm. and I was also dirt poor. Um, but <laughs> I made it my goal to, at the very least, see every state in the union, you know? And I knew I could do that. I had a shitty car. And I could just drive, you know, from, you know, one state to the next and just at the very least experience that. So I, I understandably, here we are three very privileged people talking about how important travel is. We get it. We get it. But I also want to say that travel doesn't necessarily mean going to Mogadishu, although go if you can, right? It can right. mean going to Scottsdale, although... You know, anyway, uh, which I've been to Not very and, cultural is, here. and is wonderful. It's a wonderful place. It's a beautiful kick ass mall. Style. Yeah, um, it's I went to yogurt land in um, nice. in Scottsdale. So that's like visiting two countries because I was in Scottsdale. But then I went to this magical <laughs> land called yogurt called land. Yogurt land. Yes. There where there's like 50 different flavors of yogurt. Sorry, <laughs> all, of this, all of this is to say that understanding you know, how, how, what a privilege it is to be able to leave this country. Uh, at the same time, if you're someone out there, you know, who's got that bug, you know, there, you can make it happen. You can make it happen. Get, get, you can get work in other places. You can travel around the United States. We were just talking earlier about like how incredibly weird and diverse this country is. Like the idea that like Miami and Seattle are in the same country is bizarre to me. Right? Yes, like how, how are those two in the same exact, how is New Orleans and Madison the same country, <laughs> you know? On that point, it's really funny because Deanna's from the Philippines, but there's only one time zone in the Philippines. So she still gets confused. She's like, wait, right. New York is three hours ahead of, right. not to mention there's one, there's one climate in the Philippines. She never had a jacket growing up ever. Cause in the middle of the winter, which if you count it as a winter, it's the same as the summer. The summer mm-hmm. just rains a little bit more. So yeah, it's crazy to think about how big the U.S. is, but there's also 7,000 islands in the Philippines. So to your point, you could travel domestically. You could go to the next island. You could meet the next group of people. If you're from India in that rose field that that one of you guys said, oh my God, you could get on a train for $3 and go to the other, you know, 10 hours away and find a different language in a different... India is a continent. So you could definitely travel domestically and I encourage it. So, Drew, one country that's come up a bunch of times in our conversation is Iran. Obviously, Reza, born in Iran, Iranian refugee. Uh, Some big issues with Iran. And when we were talking about privilege earlier, I'm realizing, like, my only uh, hesitation of traveling pretty much anywhere in the world is, is Iran being a member of the Baha'i faith? Because for those of you who don't know, the Baha'is are 
horribly mistreated in Iran yeah. and occasionally randomly jailed and their rights taken away. They're not allowed to go to university. It's this kind of like uh, a persecution that most people in the world have not heard of. It's the largest religious minority in, in Iran, somewhere yeah. around half a million Baha'is in that country. And yeah. I wouldn't yeah. literally feel safe going there knowing, you know, being a Baha'i or being a well-known Baha'i. But at the same time, you've said in so many of your videos how much you love the country. You know, tell us what it is about Iran that that sparks you and what, what you want people to know about the place. Because I certainly wish I could go. Iran is a country of contrasts. Um, you know, the political system is garbage, but a lot of countries have a terrible political system. And that's not a reason that I love or hate a country. I really just try to connect with people and culture and tradition. And Iran has so much of that. It's literally the, the birthplace of humanity. I mean, it's, it's where East meets West. It's where ideas were spread and shared. It's where right next to Mesopotamia, where literally the first humans, the first settlements were ever created. And there's so much history along the Silk Road that you learn about from going to Iran. But just the, the deeply rooted hospitality of Iran is unparalleled. It's unmatched to any other country. You could have zero dollars in your wallet and walk around Iran and easily find a ride, find a house to sleep in. And they will like beg you to sleep in their house. Yeah, and it's it actually be kind of annoying. You <laughs> You're like, yeah, Taruf, Taruf. Taruf, Taruf. We can yeah. talk about Taruf for, for non-Iranians. Uh, it's basically this like, over the top hospitality, and it's like it, it makes you feel uncomfortable. It, it makes you feel it uncomfortable. Does. It yeah, does. yeah, and you're laughing because you know that it's true. And I'm, I'm, I have a video coming. By the way, my next series in YouTube is all about Iran. These next five videos, oh, sweet. and I have a whole thing about Tarov. So I'll send it to you when it's out. But um, like when they open the door for you, like they insist you go first, like that kind of stuff. But um, Iran, so but it's great as a tourist. It makes you feel really comfortable, and and Iran is safe, and it's just incredible. There's so many different regions, so many so many different experiences and it's very it's very safe um and you know iran is just a special place because we hear so many bad things about it on, on the media and yes you know iranian government does not like the u.s government if you go in tehran to the old u.s embassy before 1979 there's still graffiti and and there's a picture right now there was a graffiti of the statue of liberty that was burned in one hand and being shot in the rib with a gun and then there was you know the dollar bill that was like, uh, there was a knife going through George Washington's face. Like I, I literally just saw that like two months ago. So that's still there. And, and that's part of it. But Iranians love America. Oh my God. Do Iranians love Americans? Oh my God. They, they won't stop talking about it. They will like kiss my feet when I, when I tell them I'm American it's and they won't believe it. Yeah. They won't believe it. So every American who's ever visited Iran has come back with that story where it's like, you're very timid. You're really timid. And you're like, I'm from America. And then the next thing you know, it's like you are Brad Pitt, you know? Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> like people just come, all, like yep. hundreds of people gather around. They, people don't know, uh, uh, Iranians love Americans, just love American yeah. music, American food, yep. American yep. television, everything. American movies, uh, just everything about America. Iran is a country of contrast in the sense that the government is called the Islamic Republic of Iran. But I went during Ramadan on my first trip. And let me tell you something. Nobody fasts. Yeah. Nobody that I met fasts. It's weird. Especially the younger generation. It's like it's the weird. least religious population and they, you will they, ever they meet. And they drink. <laughs> I went to an underground party and they, I couldn't document it because I would never be able to go back to Iran. But I've never seen people drink vodka faster in my life than in an underground party in Tehran. And the way they dance with their hands and they just, they badmouth the government. It's just... But, but, but women, it's the only country that women have to cover their hair. In Saudi Arabia, the women, by law, don't have to cover their hair. But in Iran, it's still a law. And women right. cannot sing in public. They can't sing. Right. They can't play instruments in public. It's just so, it's so sad. Uh, it's really, really sad. And to be a Baha'i, I actually traveled with a Baha'i. Obviously, I can't name him, but uh, just a few months ago. And he was telling me that there's no Baha'i temples in Iran because you can't. You'll go to prison or you'll be ha hanged in public. And but there's a lot of gatherings, but they're just in private homes. So he'll yeah. go to a home with 50 people and it's literally like a Baha'i temple, but it's in someone's home. But if they get caught, if, if somebody tells on, if the neighbor tells on them, then they could all be persecuted. So I, I would agree with you, Rain. I would probably not go there just because of how well-known you are and how outspoken you are about the Baha'i faith. 
And it's just really sad. It's yeah, really, really so terrible. So for people who are wondering about this, so the Baha'i are an unprotected people in Iran. And what that means is that n- they have no legal recourse. So in other words, a Baha'i can't, you know, bring uh, like an, a, a, you know, law accusation against someone. A Baha'i can't yeah. be a witness in a trial. A Baha'i doesn't have any rights at all, like any yeah. legal yeah. rights at all. It's a really horrible situation. But Terrible. again, you're, you know, you're talking about the the government and this goes right back to the whole point of this conversation, right? You go to Iran and you come back and then the next time you hear some, you know, jackhole uh, in D.C. talking about uh, bombing Iran or that Iran is, you know, this evil nation, you can say to yourself, no, but I've actually been there and everything yeah. that you are and saying is wrong and you haven't. Uh, and that's, that's what this is, the whole thing is about. So I, I want to kind of, end it with um, this question, uh, which uh, I'm sure you're asked all the time, but it really is the the sort of the, the, the climax of, you know, this conversation, which is, okay, so you've been to every country in the world. What would you say is kind of the, the greatest lesson that you have come away from this experience, uh, seeing all these people, seeing all these cultures, seeing the difference between a population and its government, seeing the way that other people live and die, eat and make friends and, you know, all of these things, worship. You're now 30 years old. What can you say is kind of the, the greatest lesson that you have learned from your experience? My answer is something that almost any traveler would say, and it's, it's just the truth. And for someone who hasn't traveled, I hope this would inspire you. It, it really is about humanity. It is that all humans are the same. Doesn't matter our race, doesn't matter our religion. Everybody wakes up in the morning, we have to get breakfast, we need to make money to put a roof over our head. Uh, if you're a parent, you probably take your kids to school. Um, you cry, you laugh, you love, you wanna feel loved in return. And that's something I've realized everywhere. In North Korea, I, I, I joined a tennis match on the street. It was a tennis court. And I picked up, a, I love sports. I love hitting balls, as Rain would say. And so I literally went to a <laughs> tennis court and I was having a freaking match in North Korea. with It was, a four, it was two, two and two. So the four people on the court. And that was great. And then at the end, they, we shook hands, had a big smile, and then I walked away. So yeah, they live in this crazy oppressive regime and they have no idea what's happening outside, in the outside world. They don't have internet. But they're humans. They have emotions. And that's the biggest thing. And, and another note is that everybody smiles in the same language. Huh. I've been to so many places where, like the Pygmy tribe, where they don't even speak, even, even my friends from Central African Republic don't speak their language. But, but you, can, you can feel someone. You can smile. You can say hi. If you're really hungry, you can communicate that you're hungry. To every single uh, of the 8 billion people in the world, you can connect with. And that's the biggest takeaway I've had we're all the same. Yes, there's some a lot of rich people, a lot of poor people. Um, but you know, if you go to a, a dinner table anywhere, whether you're in Mauritania and eating with your hands, and there's flies all over the food, and you can see the goat's testicle on your plate, which is actually something that happened, or you're in Beverly Hills in the, in the biggest mansion, you're still realizing that all humans are the same. I can't stress that point enough. We're all the same. We're all the same. We are all the same. And Drew, I really applaud not, not only your exploits, but the way that you use it to share such a positive message about the, the essential oneness, the unity of humanity. And one of the things that uh, is so important for us Americans, I think, to understand is that there is a beauty in diversity, that the diversity of humanity across the globe is a good thing. It's a positive thing. We're different heights, we're different skin colors, yeah. we eat in different ways, we celebrate, we dance in different ways. We have different priorities, and this is not a, a weakness. Uh, this is a strength. So the the diversity and the essential oneness that you kind of underline in every one of your videos is really yes. inspirational. You're doing a great job, um, and this was just so much fun having this conversation. It really was. It really was. Thank you so much, Drew Binsky. Uh, tell us where we can find you uh, on Instagram and uh, TikTok. Thank you guys so much for this opportunity. I feel like we're just getting started in the conversation. So unfortunately, <laughs> we got to end. Uh, it's at Drew Binsky, D-R-E-W-B-I-N-S-K-Y on all social medias. I uh, 
just crossed the 10 million follower mark across Woo! channels. So I'm just uh, going to keep keep growing it and keep trying to inspire people and share the lessons I've learned. Um, and Rain, that was beautiful what you just said about diversity is amazing because it is. That's the reason why I can't stop. I just want to I want to meet more people that don't look like me, you know? So guys, it was so much fun. Beautiful. Thank you. Drew, it was an honor. Thank you for coming on the show. Wow, what a great conversation. What a cool dude. I love his message so much. We're all the same. Uh, we're all the same. I was thinking about that pygmy story. It's just fantastic <laughs> and being bombed in Libya. Because, um, you know, there is a lot of uh, magnificent glory, but there's also a lot of incredible challenges on mm -hmm. so many levels um, in visiting foreign cultures. And uh, have you had any of those? He was talking about some of the difficulties he underwent. Have you ever been to a place that just challenged you to the core? I would say, I would say, um, I, I went to Varanasi in India. I spent a, 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 like a week in Varanasi in India, which is like, it's, it's often known as the city of the dead because they have these ghats, right? These like giant funeral pyres that are, they've got, it's like dozens of them and they are going 24 seven. And it's just like one dead body after another you know, piled onto the, onto the uh, fires. And like, wow. it's just, it's overwhelming. Like you can't walk through the city without like ash, the ashes of the dead, you know, like all over your clothes, of your hair. And, and, you know, I, I'd like to think of myself as a, a cultural relativist, you know, to, to each his own, uh, et cetera. But it's it gets to you after a while to to like mm. be constantly covered in dead people uh it, it, that was probably the the weirdest the hardest uh travel experience that i ever had what about you i haven't faced anything so gruesome but one thing i'll never forget and there's been a recent spate of violence in the holy land in israel which is you know where the bahai holy land is and in jerusalem it's where the Jewish most holy site is, and the Muslim second most holy site, and the Christian most holy site, they're all within a couple of soccer fields <laughs> yeah. of each other. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I'll never forget, and I, and I took a picture of it, I need to find it. Um, we, we visited Jerusalem about 10 years ago, and we're at the Wailing Wall, which is right next to the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is right next to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And there was a little Jewish kid with a yarmulke on, standing next to the Wailing Wall with a gigantic plastic submachine gun. Huh. Um, uh -huh. um, kind of pretending to be a guard or yeah, having IDF, fun. I mean, yeah. this, it, it dwarfed him. And it just broke my heart. Um, I'm not going to take any kind of political stand on this right now, but it broke my heart that we're in such a situation where uh, about seven meters from the holiest Jewish spot on earth, there's a Jewish kid with a, I mean, a three and a half foot long plastic Uzi around his shoulders. Mm -hmm. And um, that's just was the most, was the biggest kind of visual evidence of like how upside down things are yeah. in the Holy Land right now. And it, it really upset me, frankly. And I, I still think about it to this day. You know, this is a great question for our milkshakers out there. What about you guys? Is there uh, a place that you've been that has really challenged uh, your view of the world, an experience that you've had while traveling that that transformed you uh, for, for good or for bad? Uh, some strange, weird moment uh, in your travels that made you really question uh, whether uh, you had made the right decisions in your life or not, let us know. You can find us on social media at Reza Aslan and at Rain Wilson. We're on Twitter at Meta Milk Podcast and on Instagram at Metaphysical Milkshake. Let us know your life's big question. Let us know your your great travel story. Uh, and you know, if you rate us, go go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a nice little review, and in that review, tell us your travel story. Maybe we'll share it with our listeners. You can write us at Metaphysical at castmedia.com. That's cast with a K. Um, also, subscribe to our YouTube channel. 
please, we need some more views. We'd love to have you there. Then you get to watch the interviews, which is so much fun. Thanks for listening, Milkshakers. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks to Drew Binsky and safe travels. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. Original music by Jeff Tang. So he became the president of wow. the United States. And wow. he had only been out of America <laughs> once to go to Canada and once to go to Mexico. And also, Mexico, he's the governor of Texas. Like, you cross <laughs> the street. Cross the street, you're in Mexico. So that doesn't count. You know, it makes it so much easier to become a war criminal when you've only <laughs> been to true. Canada and Mexico. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.